a blazing fast drop-in 6502. More about this and other stories on This Week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Happy birthday, scum. 6502 FPGA. A new Sierra-style game with EGA graphics. And a British classic comes to the Big 20. All this and our community question of the week on This Week in Retro. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Now, before we get started, um, some quite tragic news. Um, although, thankfully, it's not as bad as it possibly could have been. Many of our listeners will be aware of the situation that hit Mark Fixes Stuff, a popular YouTuber this weekend, um, and a regular in the cave. He helps me to fix an awful lot of stuff here. He's an invaluable source of help and a great friend. Um, this weekend, I got a call from him. It was about 8.30 in the morning. I got the call from him to say that his house was on fire. And um, this is the house where he does all of his fixing stuff, his studio's there, all of his retro's there. And this wasn't just a little bit of smoke. This was a full-on house fire. His entire house is gutted. Um, every piece of retro is gone. I should point out that all of his family and he are safe. That's the most important thing, of course. But um, as the week's gone on, he's been sharing videos. It took him a while before he was actually allowed access to the house. But now he's got in there, he's taken some videos and boy, it is it, it is just a terrible, terrible scene. You can't identify any of the retro that's in there. Um, I'm sure he won't mind us showing a little bit of that footage. If, if you want to edit that in, Duncan, that would be great. Um, yeah, just look at this. It's It's just a black charred mess. It, the only thing I think that we could identify in there was just nestled away. There was this Atari console that you could still see the Atari badge on. But other than that, it's just charcoal. Um, so uh, really heart-wrenching scenes to see um, and to talk to Mark about as he got his head around it over the weekend. But um, from the ashes um, came an incredible show of support. And if you've, if you've ever doubted or lost faith in online communities um, amongst the trolling and the hatred that goes on. What what a scene we've seen in this show of support for Mark. Um, so what happened was our friend Me Machine Dean set up a PayPal pop to try and raise funds to help Mark. And um, I think it was within 48 hours, £20,000 had been raised, which uh, is incredible. And that's the upper limit of what you can put in one of these pots. So a second pot has now had to be set up and, and it continues to grow. So uh, from this tragedy is an incredible show of support from the retro community. You should all hold your heads up um, high and be proud of yourselves for the way that you've responded because it's, it's really helping make the difference um, for Mark to get his head around this and to move forward and to get Mark Fix's stuff back up and running in the longer term. So well done, everyone. And uh, all the links to see that and to support Mark will be in the show notes. So into our first story then, John, which is a happy birthday scum. Uh, it takes a, a circuitous route through the news streams this week. Um, a retro news site, which I really enjoy, is vintageisthenewold.com. Is that a site you're familiar with, John? Absolutely. They do some yeah. great stuff over there. They do. And that's where this story came to my attention. They, they've covered uh, the latest release of the popular adventure game Rejuvenator, which is, of course, ScumVM. It's had a new release, but it's also a massive milestone because ScumVM is now 20 years old. 20 years of ScumVM. Can you believe it, John? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely remembered when I first discovered Scum. And it was, I mean, it was probably around the time that it that first came out. I know that I remember everybody was talking about it online. It was, it was a revelation to be able to play all the old LucasArts games on my MacBook or my iBook at the time with no uh, loading or disk swapping. Uh, it, it was awesome. Scum was where I first discovered, if you can believe this, Neil, the Monkey Island games. I never played any of those oh, really? games back in the day originally. Um, and so, I mean, it was like, it was great. It was a cornucopia of goodness, gaming goodness. Uh, it was also where I first completed maniac mansion so it's one of the best emulators of all time in my opinion mm -hmm. yeah of course um monkey island wouldn't have made it to your beloved nez but you no. got maniac mansion didn't you yeah we, we got a, a surprisingly competent port of maniac mansion but i never finished it on the on the nes i i, I had to wait for scum and i uh, i still remember just you know sitting up in my bed late into the night uh firing that and that and monkey island are my two biggest scum memories i i just it was so much fun playing those games through scum yeah yeah well the project of course scum vm took its name from the lucasarts game engine which was uh, scum but it did go on to support adventure games with all kinds of different engines over the years including those from sierra so sierra and lucasarts are the big two aren't they when you think of adventure games yeah and then westwood studios who put out some wonderful games origin delphine that french studio who put out the likes of operation stealth and future wars yeah future wars is what always comes to mind yeah yeah, um, and Cruise for a Corpse as well. That was a good game from them. Um, mm. And the thing that I really like about ScumVM is, of course, that it lets you play all of these old games really, really easily, but it doesn't chuck a huge overhead at your system to achieve that. Plenty of these old games were made originally to run on 286 PCs, for example, and I remember it must have been 10 years ago now that I had a really wonderful time playing through the Indiana Jones games again. So um, what was there? Last Crusade and Fate of Atlantis were the two that I really enjoyed. And I played through these using ScumVM on a 10-inch netbook computer. Do you remember those netbooks that everybody, I used to have one everybody too. hated? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tablets were, you know, breaking through. The iPad had shown that a tablet could work uh, and the proper interface on a tablet could be really good. But still... You know, Microsoft and, and the hardware developers were pushing these netbooks to try and compete with them as a low-cost alternative. Um, they didn't. They didn't last long, did they? <laughs> well, you know what, what happened was is that the price of really thin and light, fully functional laptops came down to the point where netbooks just couldn't stay competitive. Um, and uh, I think also the launch of Windows 8 at the time um, and all of the actual the extra graphical add-ons and things that that it didn't. It was. It was it was poor planning on the part of Microsoft to try and launch these low cost alternatives to tablets while not giving you an operating system that ran well on them, but they ran XP. My netbook ran XP like a champ. I mean, I oh, used yeah, that yeah. and I used it basically as a, like you said, as a portable gaming machine and it worked great. Mm -hmm. I was talking to a friend who worked in uh, PC world here when those were about, um, Pillock, I think it was hello Pillock. If you're listening and watching, um, and he was saying that the netbooks that came with Linux pre-installed rather than Windows were the most returned item that they ever sold. It had like something <laughs> like a 60% return rate just because people were unfamiliar with it. They fired it up sure. and went, what the hell is this? Where's Microsoft Works or Microsoft Word? How do I use this? Of course, yeah. we're not going to start bashing Linux. There are plenty of alternative applications out there that achieve what people need to achieve. They, they're just so unfamiliar with it. They didn't know where to start. And so they just took it straight back. 
Yeah, it all comes down to how you're communicating these things. If you're like, listen, this is an alternative to an iPad, buy it. And then they get it home and it's Linux and they don't know how to how to use the system. They don't recognize any applications. Well, of course, they're not going to like it. It's all in the communication. And that's something that the technology industry still to this day doesn't do a great job on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the one I had was a Samsung NC10 netbook, which was uh, pretty good on the scale of netbooks. Um, I got it free with a phone contract which was great. And if you stuck a USB mouse into it and then you installed Scum VM on it, maybe a little bit more RAM. Um, that wasn't really necessary for Scum VM, just to speed up the operating system and make things a bit snappier. Uh, and, and that was a really nice lightweight system on which to play Scum VM games. Um, I was really, really happy with that, John. Yeah, yeah. So does this new Scum uh, 20th anniversary release bring anything new to the party? Well, I'm glad you asked that, John, because yes, it is a big update. It's the first release with full support in ScumVM for 2.5D games. Um, it's merged with another project called Residual VM, which is like a sister project to ScumVM, and it's been focused on the 2.5 and the 3D adventure games for many, many years. So this is big news that it's now part of ScumVM, and it means it can play one of my favorite games of all time, which is... Grim Fandango. Absolutely mm, love yeah. that game. Do you have good memories of Grim Fandango? This is still one that I've never played, but I oh, know tons and tons and tons of people love it. So I have to play it one of these days. It'll be interesting to see if ScumVM brings some of the uh, improvements that were in the Grim Fandango remastered version that came out, namely uh, slightly improved controls, because the original game has tank controls, uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Resident Evil style, walking around as the... The, the main character, Manny Calavera. Um, oh, it's such a great game. I want to go and play it now. <laughs> so I'm going to try that out on the new version of ScumVM. It also brings us support for The Longest Journey, which was a great game. And one that I'm not so familiar with, Mist 3 Exile. I think I got quite a lot of Mist fatigue after the first one. I didn't really follow the series that closely. Mm -hmm. um, so there are these 2.5D games, which are so cool because basically your main character is Polygon Renders. Uh, but the background is 2D bitmaps. So you've got half and half. Think Resident Evil or Alone in the Dark style gameplay. They also added support for 10 more new game engines, some of which I've never heard of, which suggests there's a whole world of adventure games uh, now accessible to me on modern hardware, which I want to go and explore. Uh, there are a couple that stand out, though, that I'm excited about. Uh, Little Big Adventure, that's now supported, which... It's not a traditional point-and-click adventure game by any means. It's, it's a lovely adventure, but um, I'm not sure there's any pointing or clicking involved. So I need to get out <laughs> of my head that ScumVM is all about the pointing and clicking. It's, a, mm. it's all about the adventuring and the exploring. Um, so we've got Crusader No Remorse, which was that origin game. Um, I don't know if you remember that. Were you a fan of LBA or Crusader, any of those? A uh, little big adventure I had never heard of. Uh, it looks neat. It's sort of a uh, three. It's it's it looks more almost like uh, Rare's Super Nintendo games where they took you know three uh, D models and they they pasted some some polygons on them. It it has a really neat look to it. I'm gonna look more into that, but. By and large, I actually hate uh, 2.5D adventure <laughs> games like like Fairy Tale Adventure. That's always one that people talk about on the Amiga or Crusader. I I don't like the viewpoint. Uh, to me, the 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 fun and point and click adventures is uh, beautiful art, and uh, the 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 way that they had to make the art 
uh, in these 2.5D games is, uh, to me, it just doesn't look very good. And it, and it, it, it hasn't aged as well as, you know, the, the traditional, um, you know, pixel art of the 2D adventure games. You know, give me, give me top down, give me side on, but the isometric games in the adventure genre just annoy the heck out of me. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to jump in with both feet on that opinion. Uh, I think Crusader is a good looking game. Um, mm-hmm. I get, I get the annoyance of the tank controls on some of these games and um, sometimes isometric games, they just make it more difficult to get around. Don't they? You just mm-hmm. can't get yeah. to where you want to get, but um, right. on the whole, there's still some, some pretty good looking ones out there. I think uh, I, I thought Crusader looked like quite a gritty game. Um, mm-hmm. The engine of that evolved to be used in Ultima 8. We haven't had an Ultima reference for many episodes, John. What's, what's, <laughs> go, what's going on? Ultima 8. Um, but it didn't work for me for some of the reasons I stated there. Um, but Crusader worked better for me than Ultima 8 did. So I am interested in trying that again for sure. So if you haven't tried Scum VM, then please do treat yourself to a talky version of a classic adventure game. Maybe you had something like Indiana Jones on the uh, the Amiga back in the day, and now you can enjoy the talky version with all the extras that came with it. Um, some of the enhancements that Scum VM introduces to scale those images up and, and try and keep them looking nice on a modern large monitor. Um, yeah, make yourself a coffee, go on an adventure, and enjoy everything that Scum VM has to offer. A lot of the games supported really are timeless classics. Neil, I'm going to ask you a question that is uh, popular on first dates, I think. You know, you sit down in a coffee shop, you're trying to get to know the the young lady across from you, and you look deeply into her eyes and you (laughs) ask her, what's your favorite CPU? (laughs) Oh, John, when was the last time you went on a date? (laughs) (laughs) It's a miracle I got married, Neil. I'm not going to lie to you. Well, I'm going to answer that question, but I'm going to completely derail this topic because I want to ask you a, 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 a transcontinental question by asking you, do you have, I'm asking the big questions on the show today, do you have Greg's in the US? We do not. I'm familiar with oh. Greg's from my time in England, but we, we do not have it here. Okay. Well, that's that answered. <laughs> I've got a sausage roll here waiting for me when the show ends. Um, right. So we're on a date. We're, we're sharing a plate of spaghetti, Lady in the Tramp style. You mm-hmm, lean in and mm-hmm. you say, Neil, what's your favorite CPU? I would have to come at this from the perspective of machines that I liked that had a CPU in because it's not like I spend any time back then or even now writing machine code and, and cursing the features of one CPU uh, over the other at that low, low level. So I'd pick out it would have to be for me the good old Motorola 68000 just because it powered so many iconic arcades, consoles and home machines that I love. It's 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 hard to go wrong with that. Are we getting a second date? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I'd take you out again, Neil. Yeah, you're paying this time though. Um well, you know, I'm no hardware engineer either, uh, so I can't wax poetic about the intricacies of processor design. But for my money, it's hard to beat the good old Moss Technology 6502. I mean, it basically powered my youth. Everything from the Atari 8-bit computers uh, to my first for my first foray into video games uh, with the with the NES, and uh, it you know it it consumed so many hours of my playtime. I just can't separate it from my personal golden age of gaming and computing uh neil do you remember your first 6502 machine 
Ooh, interesting. Um, it's interesting that I've gone more for the 16-bit era and you've gone with that earlier 8-bit era. Um, yeah. But the, the first 6502 base machine I would have used would have been the BBC Micro, um, mm-hmm. which we had in schools. My own home computer then would have been the Z80-based Amstrad CPC. And, you know, the Z80's got to be up there as another iconic CPU if we're, we're having to pick one out. Uh, but I didn't own a BBC Micro. Uh, yeah, BBC Micros were for dorks, John. <laughs> Losers. <laughs> well, for retro computing enthusiasts who are looking to supercharge your original machines and add a little extra oomph without compromising the original architecture of your motherboards, I have some great news. Uh, there's a German engineer named Jurgen Muller, and he has utilized the power of FPGA technology to create a drop in replacement for the 6502 chip called the 65F02. And in case you're wondering, the F. It stands for fast. And fast it is, Neil. Uh, just to give you an idea, the original Apple II 6502 chip ran at just over 1 megahertz. Well, the 65F02 runs, well, at 100 times that. That's right. A 100 megahertz 6502 chip that you drop in to a whole host of machines. That's some serious speed coming out of that 6502. Yeah. Um, I, I feel a little bit bad about the last thing I said now, John, which was calling BBC Micro users dorks. After the whole conversation we had last week about being freaks. <laughs> about, being are you a freak? Are you a weirdo? Are you, are you a BBC <laughs> Micro user? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, sorry, I, I retract that statement, BBC Micro users. <laughs> We're all freaks and weirdos together. Um so, yeah, this project kind of makes me think, do you remember the Buffy CPU? Yeah, people absolutely. Were talking about? And they're still talking about, because it's still a current project, and that's promising the 68K CPU at what they're aiming for is 100 MIPS and possibly over 1,000 megahertz, although the final stable speed is to be confirmed as they work through that beta phase of testing and ironing out any kinks. I think the minimum threshold I read that the Buffy project are going for is 400 megahertz, and then you know stable and then anything above that which i'm sure they'll achieve more than that um will be a bonus so it raises the same questions though for me as that project and any other project which promises insane speeds on classic systems which is what do i do with it what the hell do i do with it you know i I love that it exists purely for the fact that it helps to keep old systems running but um what are we going to see i hope we see some cool demos i hope we see some games developed that take advantage of it but it takes a lot for good games to be developed for these old systems that will take advantage of it in the modern day. Um, you know, there were game studios back then. There were people dedicated full time to making games for these systems back then. So just because you've got more speed doesn't mean you're going to get a higher quality game. You still need those those talents, don't you? Um, yeah. So, you know, do I want to do the same as I can already do only faster? Not really beyond the time it takes for, say, an operating system to load, for Workbench to load, for you know hard disk accessing speeds, nice one that speeds up. But when you get into the the game or the application, uh, you know, where, what do you, do you need it? Do you need it? Um, I don't know. I don't know. But it's great that it exists, um, and it's nice actually that this is cross-platform too. Um, I think you mentioned that, didn't you? It's a CPU mm-hmm. for any system that uses a 6502. Can you just drop it in, John? 
Well, it's it's not quite that easy, I think. I think that yeah, the way that it's worked so far, Jurgen has tested the 65FO2 with two of the three members of that original 1977 Trinity of micros, the Apple II and the Commodore PET. So sorry, TRS-80, you should have backed the winning CPU here. <laughs> um, it, it's also been tested with a number of early chess computers. And, you know, speaking of practical applications, this is definitely something that uh, could definitely benefit from speed increases uh, whenever you're playing chess against a, a computer. And I, I, what I'm assuming is that these are standalone units, you know, that they're sort of like they fit in your lap or on a table. And uh, you can see the board and see maybe an LED display with the chess pieces on it. Um, and uh, so you, as you can imagine, bumping up the processor speed is going to make the AI quicker in deciding their moves and make, allow you to play more games. So that is a, a practical application so far that he's done. Yeah, that is actually a really good example. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I can't remember the last time I actually played chess on my computer, John. But I do remember in the 8 and the 16-bit eras, I remember playing all kinds of chess games. Um, the Chess Master series, mm -hmm. I was I was a big fan of battle chess. You know, you loved seeing all the different animations that were between the different pieces, you know, if the queen took the You know, or some, the... some people think battle chess is the ultimate chess game that they're, the real really? chess masters use. Yeah, I've heard that before, so I don't know. But um, I, I play um, chess a ton, um, especially in the, the late 90s and the early 2000s on the computer because uh, the uh, Mac, I was a big Mac guy back then, and instead of coming bundled with Solitaire and Free Cell or whatever, all Macs came bundled with chess. And it was a pretty good chess game. I mean, the, the, it was a, I mean, chess is chess. Who are we kidding here? But uh, the, the board was attractive. There were multiple skill levels, and, and I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I still play a lot of computer chess on chess.com on my phone, uh, whenever I have some downtime, but um, I'm one of these people, Neil, that I'll probably play chess my whole life and I'll never get any better at it. <laughs> I still get beat all the time. Uh, I'd love to have one of those chess boards and maybe you've seen these. I see them on ads on Facebook all the time, which you can tell they're tracking my activity because I'm getting chess ads on Facebook, but they actually have a chess board that I guess has magnets or something underneath it attached to a computer and the, the pieces actually move, you know, you're, you, you, you move upon and then the computer slides upon forward. I'd love to have one of those boards just for the novelty of playing against, you know, an invisible opponent. That's really cool. And and can you kind of rage quit and flip the board over if you want to That's right. the game on the computer? <laughs> Punch <laughs> my invisible computer opponent in the face for beating yeah. me. Yeah. That that's cool. I mean, I've seen a lot of applications of augmented reality and VR as well where you can play board games. Uh, mm -hmm. against people on the other side of the world i really like that idea uh, i really need to try some of these things because it's a a slower paced kind of gaming a nice kind of gaming so um i, sh I should get back into that anyway back to this cpu um is the is, is it available do we have a price for it can i turbocharge my bbc micro yet where are we with well it? As of right now, Jurgen has no plans to turn this into a commercial product. You know, he's one of these hobbyists that makes it clear he is not in it for the money. Uh, he is just he likes to tinker, which is cool. We, we, we need yeah. people like that. Um, but he is actively looking for people to help him with developing versions of this for the Commodore 64 and other 6502 based machines. So I'm guessing that this is a, a pretty bog standard FPGA chip that you can order. And uh, and once you get the chip, you can you know talk to him about what you need to do to get it up and running. I'm sure he'd be willing to help anybody that wants to get one of these things. He's just not looking to sell them. 
I I almost wish I know the we talked about the Mega sixty five uh, last mm-hmm. week, um, and what a great machine that is. But um, wouldn't it have been nice if they'd put a hundred megahertz sixty five oh two chip in there uh, rather than that FPGA chip? That might have been a, a nice alternative spec. Right. Well, anyway, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's still it's still something artificial. You know, it's still an FPGA chip, whether it's in, you know oh, whether it is, it's simulating it? a sixty five oh two or something else. So. The, the Jurgens project is FPGA based, is it? It is. It is. Oh, it's an I FPGA based okay. 6502. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's pretty much the same thing then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've mentioned the BBC Micro, and actually, joking aside, the BBC Micro would be a good candidate because it's got that tube expansion port on the bottom, um, or the BBC Master for that for that fact. Um, and that tube interface is specifically designed for secondary processors. So you used to be able to buy another 6502 or even a Z80 processor. And it's the interface that the first ARM CPU was um, devised on using the BBC Micro um, through that through that interface. So you could plug this into that secondary interface and it could be a, a nice way of testing it. Um, it might be a bit redundant if you're a speed freak because you can already plug a Raspberry Pi into that tube interface and use it as a coprocessor, a mm-hmm. coprocessor and do all sorts of fun things with it. Um, I think there's a version of Elite out there which runs blisteringly fast, you know, on a BBC Micro using a Pi to accelerate it, which is great fun. But this might be a fun way to test it out, test out the new CPU um, without having to take one out of the main system. In fact, yeah. I, I would be happy to volunteer myself to test that out, Jürgen, if I can help. <laughs> you, might, you might be hearing from him, Neil. Uh, if you're interested <laughs> in, in reading more about this project and, and uh, you know, communicating with Jurgen, make sure you click the link in the show notes. And we want to thank subreddit user Silver Rapid for sharing the story with us. So our next story ties in nicely with the earlier Scum VM story. Um, it comes uh, another circuitous route via Indie Retro News this time into our subreddit. Uh, and it's all about a brand new game being developed by a Sierra superfan. And it's named, now correct me if I'm not pronouncing this right, John. Is it Tachyon Dreams? That's exactly right. T-H-Y-O-N, Tachyon Dreams. Do we know what Tachyon means? That's a Star Trek word, Neil. Oh, is it? <laughs> tachyon <laughs> impulse. There's, there's something. I, I can, I can, de- I can definitely hear O'Brien saying something about the tachyon ray or something. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I've, I've looked it up. I've looked it up. Tachyon, a hypothetical particle that travels faster than light. Bam. <laughs> now we know. Now we know. So, um, this is an adventure game which is very much in the style of those early Sierra adventure games where you had the graphics and you had the animation happening on the screen but you would steer the character about with your keyboard and you'd use a text parser to type commands like um, use key on door. You know, you actually have to type that out rather than clicking on a key and clicking on a door. And um, it was the next step along from text-only adventures, if you like, that came before them. And then after that, we started to get the mouse as a, a standard peripheral on a lot of machines and therefore point and click became pretty standard. It's um, a game that's episodic in nature keeps each episode to about 45 minutes of gameplay. I mean, this is a pretty small team working on this, so they're aiming for a quality first product rather than quantity. Um, So episode one is called Tachyon Dreams 1, The Radiant Fish of the Apocalypse. And you play the role of Dodger the Dishwasher on the Penrose Interstellar Space Station, which makes for an interesting acronym. (laughs) No, <laughs> it's, it's all very Douglas Adams-esque. <laughs> it is, you know, and obviously heavily inspired by Space Quest as well and the humor uh, from those games too. Um, so it, it's Sierra in style. 
It says it includes 45 minutes of gameplay in the first episode. Uh, but we know, or at least to me, a Sierra minute is not the same as a normal minute. So um, for 45 minutes, you know, um, about an hour into the game, I was still sitting on 25 out of 32 points trying to figure out what to do. Um, I had a spongy sliced mushroom. I had a seed that I'd extracted from a berry. Um, I, I won't give any spoilers as to how I did that because you guys should definitely go and play this game. Um, so it's just like old times, you know, I did get stuck. Um, but the funny thing is I went on Twitter and reached out to the developer and said, I've got this sliced mushroom. I'm a bit stuck. <laughs> and he actually, he gave me a really useful clue without giving too much away that helped me to progress. Oh, so that's fantastic. That was, a, that was a really nice bit of interaction. I enjoyed that. You know, uh, I didn't even have to phone the, uh, 50p a minute hotline to get help <laughs> <laughs> so um john you know i've said the, what i think this game reminds me of what's the kind of vibe that you get from this game yeah it's definitely that king's quest police quest space quest vibe here um definitely more of a sierra influence at least in my mind than a, a lucas arts influence with so these early ega graphics uh, I love the art style of these games. Uh, this was the era uh, there where I was most into point and click adventure games. Uh, and even though there's no there's no pointing and clicking here, this is cursoring, <laughs> cursoring and typing adventure <laughs> games. Uh, I'm glad they went this route. It's definitely more of an Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade rather than the brown gradient fest of the fate of Atlantis. Yeah, yeah, those EGA graphics, you know, lots of purples and magentas mm -hmm. and. But they st and dithering, but they still managed to make it work. Um, yeah. Whoever's done the art on this is certainly very talented. They've really nailed that that Sierra look. Um, even the way the characters move about, um, you know, if this was released back in the day, I imagine they would get a court case slapped on them for being so like the Sierra games. You know, <laughs> maybe really, so. really is yeah. And it's not using the old AGI interpreter of the Sierra days. They have used modern tools to make this. Um, they've just absolutely nailed the look from you've got the um, the bar at the top with the number of points and you can press alt to drop down different menu items the sprites even the way that the the main character walks about you know the gait of his walk <laughs> yeah and the double width pixels that they've used to do the art it just looks fantastic they've absolutely nailed the look and um i did get over the bit i was stuck in i did complete the game i really enjoyed it and um They've nailed it. They've absolutely nailed it. This will make you instantly nostalgia for those old Sierra games. So do go and check it out. You can download it for free and there's a name your price option when you do download it. So you can reward the creator who goes by the name of Cosmic Void or download it for free and just make sure you go back and chuck some, some coins in the pot because he has promised more richer and longer episodes if support is there um if the audience is there if people want it then then he will spend the time doing it and i really hope he does because i want episode two right now so <laughs> go and try it out and let us know what you think on our subreddit um we've got a feature list here john which i'm going to read out to you the game features text parser this is taken from the website text parser type your commands colorful <laughs> low-res pixel-wide ega graphics humor <laughs> time travel <laughs> And uh, play as a dishwasher on board a space station. It's like they read my mind. What What do you want out of a video game? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. So between Scum VM's latest release and Tachyon Dreams here, you've got absolutely got your adventure gaming fix for the month. So go and try them out. Uh, and remember to support the projects. Neil, when you think about the VIC-20 
what comes to mind? Oh, the Vic 20. Um, do you want an honest answer from me, John? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Okay. But uh, please don't hate me when I say this. The, <laughs> the Vic 20 is one of those machines where uh, I think, yeah, that's great, but give me a C64. <laughs> you know, I, I, I know the Vic 20 is an important machine. Uh, it's kind of like the ZX Spectrum uh, over here in terms of helping to bring the cost of computing down. Am I right? It, it really drove that down in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, it tried to make it more accessible to folk. You know, it was available outside of specialist computer stores. You could pick it up in a, in a lot of just general retail stores. So right. it really helped to drive, you know, it makes me think of the way it helped to drive computer sales and get computers into the home in the US. But, you know, everything about it just makes me want to stay, take take it all up a step to the level of the C64 and enjoy all the capabilities of that machine. Um, I know, maybe it's because I'm just not massively nostalgic for that particular system and I need to explore it more. But yeah, I mean, I'm just being honest with you, John. <laughs> well, I, I feel the same way. I feel exactly the same way okay. for me. Uh, this is sort of the computer that time forgot. And the C64, you know, loomed so large in stature and in sales. It's easy to forget that its predecessor, the Vic, it was the first computer ever to sell in excess of 1 million units. And according to sources online, it actually sold above the 3 million mark over the course of its life. So it was hardly a flop um, unless you compare it to the C64 that came after it, which of course, one of the best selling computers of all time. And of course, who can forget the VIX ad campaign featuring the one and only William Shatner, uh, who of course was in the news again (laughs) this past week (laughs) as the 90 year old was hurtled into space on a blue origin rocket. Did you Uh, watch it, John? Did did you watch him go? I did. I did. I I enjoyed it tremendously. And and now I guess him and uh, Takai are involved in a, in in some sort of a a war of, of words and it's, it's caused all kinds of drama in the Star Trek community, which is, brings joy to my heart. (laughs) I haven't seen that. What, what are they, what are they warring about? Oh, uh, George said, well, you know, I think he was making a comment and Jess, and I, I have a feeling that both of these guys are, 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 are doing this in good humor, but, uh, to Kai said, oh yeah, they needed, you know, they needed an old geezer as a, as a hamster to, to, to test what goes on in space with an old guy, you know, it's one of those things, but uh, okay. it's all in good fun. And of course, uh, just like Bill Shatner, the Vic 20 is in the news again this week as well. Now, Neil, if you were to rank the top three most iconic british 8-bit platformers uh chucky egg would have to be in there wouldn't you say i think so yeah good old hen house harry in chucky egg he he made it onto pretty much every platform didn't he and um he did it well you know there were lots and lots of great ports of that game yeah yeah i mean to me if i was going to name the top three 8-bit british platformers it would be the, the list writes itself dizzy chucky egg manic miner that's it. That's the list. And of course, you include Jet Set Willy with Manic Miner. Same. Okay. Same I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah. So I, I've got to say, of the three, uh, Nigel Alderton's game, Chucky Egg, is the one on the list I find myself coming back to time after time. Uh, there's there's just something about the simple uh, but addictive gameplay that makes this game incredibly hard to put down, and it lacks the frustration factor found in Manic Miner and those awkward platforming sections in the Dizzy games. But anyway, amazingly, 
although appearing on seemingly every micro from its original incarnation developed for the Specky, the Beeb, and the Dragon, all the way up through a pretty horrendous port on the Amiga and I think the ST. Uh, the Chuckster, Neil, never made an appearance on the VIC-20. <laughs> Until now? Are you going to say it? <laughs> Until now. Until How did you know, now. Neil? <laughs> That's right. Thanks to the efforts of a coder known enigmatically as Derek, Chucky Egg has made its way onto the VIC by way of the online C64 magazine called Reset 64. I wasn't aware of this magazine, but it's pretty cool. It's basically, you know, a combination of text and games that's delivered online. It's almost like one of those old uh, Spectrum tape magazines. Did you ever mm -hmm. see those, um, Neil, where it was a, a tape you put into your Spectrum that had games, but it also had text on it, too? Yeah, yeah. And we got disc magazines on the Amiga as well that sometimes had a little demo in there. Yeah, they were yeah. great sources of information. Yeah. Again, these are things that I never, I don't think we had any of this kind of stuff in the US. Just another example of how like the periodical scene, whether digital or paper, was so much more developed in the UK than it was in the States. But um, anyway, uh, comparing this version to the originals, I'd say that the Vic version is most closely, uh, it most closely resembles the BBC micro version. And to me, that's great news because that's the sweet spot. Uh, I think most folks out there would agree that it's the best version all around. Now, Neil, were you a big Chucky Egg fan back in the day or did you discover it after the fact? I can hear the ZX Spectrum fans of this game screaming at you after that last thing. <laughs> um, yeah, I played it to death on my Amstrad and, uh, one of the most devastating moments of my game in life, John, is when I played a particularly vigorous game of Chucky Egg on the CPC and uh, in a fit of chicken-induced rage, because this game could be frustrating in the context of those other games that you mentioned. Yes, less frustrating, but it could still be a frustrating game. Yeah. Uh, and in that frustration, I knocked over a pint of banana Nesquik milkshake onto the computer. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it hit exactly where the cassette deck was. And uh, it went all over the computer and all over the Chucky Egg tape. Oh. Um, yeah, it was a bad time. My computer was mm. confiscated by my dad. The tape was put high up in a cupboard where I couldn't reach it. And uh, in time, my the computer was sorted. Uh, I don't know if my dad just kind of rinsed it out and let it dry or if he took it to someone to get it fixed. But whatever he did, it felt like an age before I got that thing back. And um, I did get it back and it was working, thankfully. And then eventually one day when my parents were out, I climbed up to that cupboard and I reached that Chucky Egg tape and got it down. And to my amazement, it still worked. It was absolutely fine. And I was collecting eggs all over again. So in terms of different ports, I know the ZX Spectrum port gets a lot of love. Um, it, for me, it's the Amstrad, and that's purely because of the one that I played the most. So it's got that nostalgia factor for me. Uh, the BBC Micro, you mentioned, is a, rated as a really high-quality port. I would say just don't play it on the Atari ST or the Commodore Amiga. I don't know if you played those versions. We're into 16-bit territory now. Horrible. But um, Horrible. Henhouse Harry has become an egg for some reason. You're an egg with a baseball cap and little arms running around. It's almost like they've taken inspiration from Dizzy. Uh, mm -hmm. But why would an egg be in a henhouse collecting other eggs? Uh, maybe it's maybe the, he's trying to rescue his brothers and sisters. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe. Um how how does this Vic Twenty then compare? Because there's a, there's some really great competition out there uh, in these other ports. So how's yeah? The Vic I really up? think 
Yeah, I really think this is the definitive version of Chucky Egg. Uh, as I've said before, it's got the iconic look of the BBC Micro version. Now, don't get me wrong, the, the ZX Spectrum version looks good too, but Henhouse Harry is a little bit short and squat in that version. He's not mm -hmm. the lean, mean fighting machine that he is in the BBC Micro version. Of course, we're talking about like an eight-bit stack of pixels, or an eight, you know, an eight-pixel-high stack, you know, <laughs> uh, sprite. So there's not much variation there. But um, the thing that this has got over the BBC Micro version is that there's not as much flicker and i'm sure it's because of the the programmers just know so much more about the innards of these machines they know how to get the best out of them more than the programmers did back in the day just because they they're they're standing on the shoulders of giants as we talk about all the time so it runs smooth as silk everybody should try this version out neil i recommend it without hesitation Hmm. On the topic of different versions, I think it was last month issue of Retro Gamer magazine, if you read that, they had a whole uh, section on Chucky Egg and mm. uh, screenshots of all the different versions. And it's funny, isn't it, how some in some versions, Hen House Harry is like double the width of other versions or really squat or mm -hmm. it just it's, it's funny how each machine, obviously, they, they had to play to their own strengths and their different graphical capabilities, but some of them just look plain wrong. Yeah. Um, and then, as I mentioned, you get into the 16 bits and it's just horrible. Mm -hmm. um, and Chucky Egg 2, I don't know if you ever played Chucky Egg 2, but I actually really no. quite enjoyed that one on the Amiga. And that oh. that's much more a Jet Set Willy style flick screen adventure okay. um, where you start outside and you have to go into the chocolate factory. I think they're making chocolate eggs in this one and, you know, collect lots of items. And, and it's a huge game to explore, but a completely different game. So don't expect more of the same in Chucky Egg 2, but... I kind of enjoyed it. I'll have um, to check that out. Yeah, but I still go back to the first one for a quick kick, um, pick up and play arcade style experience. It works well for that. Uh, so obviously I like Chucky Egg, you like Chucky Egg, but if you really love Chucky Egg, John, I mean, like really, really love it. The intellectual property is for sale right now. Mm. Uh, there's an auction that's up that ends on the 30th of October and the bidding is currently sitting at 12,500 US dollars. Um, so, uh, you know, consider that next time you're looking at th that million dollar boxed copy, the, the water graded million dollar boxed copy of, um, <laughs> uh, of Mario 64, wouldn't it be cooler to actually own the IP of Chucky Egg? Yeah. I and I mean, nice. it's about a 10th of the price, so you should definitely jump out or maybe even 1% of the price. If it sells there's for that, a million there's dollars. that maths teacher coming out. Again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I should, I should just stop. I should stop doing math stuff. <laughs> It's cheap, Neil. It's darn cheap. This is an interesting site. I'm clicking on your link here. This elite uh, systems dot auction. This uh, this is a site that uh, proposes itself to be an e an eBay for game IP. I was not aware that such a site existed. Thanks for thanks for uh, sharing this, Neil. Elite Systems was a publisher back in the day, John. I don't know if you remember. Elite oh yeah, Systems. absolutely. We played a ton of their games. Yeah, they released games like Commodore, like um, Commando on the Commodore sixty four and things like that, and quite an iconic logo. And uh, I think the guy behind it now is still the same guy as was behind it back in the day, um, Steve Wilcox. I think that's his name. Mm, yeah, um, Elite was uh, Elite was known as one of the first publishers to actually go over to Japan and pick up, you know, on the cheap, 
uh, a bunch of licenses before people really thought that it was a good idea to do that. Um, and uh, there was a write-up in Retro Gamer about how they they picked up, uh, and I think they also their first game was that ZX Spectrum helicopter game, something like Blue Thunder or something like that. So oh, okay. yeah, a, a company with a rich history. So that's how they ended up uh, publishing things like Bomb Jack. They must have mm-hmm. managed to get those on their Japanese excursions. Right. Um, but the auction itself for Chucky Egg is, I think, looking at the link on the behalf of uh, Nigel Alderton, the original IP owner and creator. So hopefully that's money in his pocket. Uh, yeah, I wonder how yeah, maybe he's, well, maybe, yeah. maybe he's retiring soon. He's looking to build that nest egg. But oh, God. <laughs> I can't follow that up. <laughs> Carry on, John. You've, you've killed me. I can't. So <laughs> before you run out and load this up on your Vic, you got to have the 32K RAM expansion. So open it up. Make sure you got that slotted in. But once you've secured that, feel free to fire it up. It also will run on the Mini Vic that uh, Retro Games released a few years ago, that Mini Vic console, or, of course, your favorite Vic emulator. Can't wait to uh, play this some more. Right, stop what you're doing. Grab it right now for free from Reset64's itch.io page linked in the show notes. And thank you to subreddit user OzRetroComp for sharing this story with us. But if you do go and win that auction and buy the IP, please don't go and shut this game down. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) Good point. All right, Neil, our community question of the week last week was what should Atari do to salvage their brand? And we got a ton of responses on this one, uh, Neil. And uh, the first one comes from, and of course, we read the top three most upvoted responses every week. Uh, but we encourage you to check out our subreddit, r slash This Week in Retro, and read all of the responses. Uh, Potato Professor says they should stick to licensing old games and making new games they should focus on being a software shop and putting together a games development team screwing around with hotels currencies and poorly conceived game systems shoddily put together with two generation old pc components running linux is not the way to do it boy he buries the new vcs it's more of an embarrassment than anything else he says if they really want to get back into hardware, they should release a mini Atari system on FPGA. Contract out the hardware development work, loop in the Atari community and past Atari developers and engineers. Make an actual Atari with a cartridge slot, SD card slot, HDMI port, and USB ports. And another option would be to re-release Atari games on modern systems and sell a custom Atari controller to go with it. I mean, I agree with pretty much all of that, John. The only thing, when it comes to re-releasing Atari consoles, it's been done so many times, hasn't it? You know, the Atari 2600 is just basically down to a single chip now that's been released on mini versions. It's been released on, um, you know, uh, controllers that you plug straight into your TV. You can play these old Atari games pretty much every way. So I don't think there's a need for another Atari 2600 or, or any of the Atari consoles, uh, I think they need to look ahead. Um, yeah, well, not completely. Yes, uh, tap into those old IPs as we discussed last week and make new versions, but also look ahead to new games. Uh, games, games, games. Forget the hardware. Yeah. yeah. Um, 4PNM has posted a very, very long diatribe against Atari. And we're not going to read it all because it's long and it also <laughs> contains some colorful language. But oh, I wow. encourage you to uh, to check it out. But he says, the only thing that will change people and consumers' mind is leadership. And he says, they, they basically, they need a, a better CEO. Uh, they need to uh, stop their, uh, their uh, inroads into other 
uh, other areas. I'm trying to uh, <laughs> I'm trying to sum up here <laughs> because every almost every sentence it contains an expletive, and I don't want to accidentally read one. This is a family friendly show, Neil. So, like I said, uh, you should uh, you should check out. I'm just going to uh, tell everybody go and read four PNMs. He sounds like he's almost somebody with some insider knowledge on on what's going on here. Read his post; it's a good one. He buries he buries Atari Neil. I'm I'm disappointed you didn't give Duncan a job with the beep button there. <laughs> 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 and what's number um, three all right number three the gypster he says like commodore it's done for there is nothing they can do so some people think it's over neil some people think atari and there's nothing you can do to salvage it uh i am not giving up hope on atari i feel like they uh they still have the the uh resources to turn to write the ship it's just a question of whether they want to write the ship or whether they can scratch out a living doing you know gaming uh is a small percentage of their business and then these other ventures just capitalizing on the goodwill of the atari brand over the past 40 years uh it's all up to their their management team and direction that they want to go i probably would give them i don't know if i was going to give them a percentage of uh you know like okay if we look at a company that does right by their users 100 percent of the time you know no video game company is is perfect uh, but i i think that the releasing of games like centipede recharged um you know and and focusing at least some of their efforts on making high quality premium non-mobile non you know sort of microtransaction games it's a step in the right direction i'm not willing to completely write them off yet but only time will tell i think the brand has value you can tell that just by looking at the iconic atari logo and you, you know you just feel there's still something there there's still some value to it it's still got heft and weight and i agree with the earlier comment about uh, leadership focus and set out the expectation tell people what you're about what you're going to do and there was a little bit of that from the new ceo last week it's mm -hmm. just he told us he was going to do things that i didn't agree with so uh, right. drop all of that and uh, just have a nice clear roadmap and set the expectation but um who knows if we'll ever see that from atari john that's for another yeah. day yeah so anyway we thank uh, our subreddit community for all of their responses and uh this week's community question of the week is what retro chip would you like to see an FPGA made of? Maybe a Paula, uh, you know, name your favorite retro chip. What would you like to see a drop-in replacement for? Maybe it's a chip that fails often that, you know, there's a, there's a finite supply of and, and an FPGA chip could be a solution. So please post your responses in the subreddit and we'll read the top three most upvoted responses on the air next week. This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC and John Shawler. It was produced by me, Duncan Styles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favorite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r slash This Week in Retro to suggest and vote on stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you'd like to support the show, please check out the links to our Patreon and Coffee pages in the show notes or in the YouTube description. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.